Thanks for joining the podcast with Tamara Gondor. Conversations with everyday innovators that reject status quo, think differently, and make a positive difference in their world. Listen in so you can ignite innovation, influence others, and make an impact too. And now your host, CrossFit addict, knee-high sock lover, and according to her kids, average cook, Tamara Gondor. Hey, hey, good to be back with everybody for another Friday wrap-up. What a great week of interviews. I got so much out of this week, which I'll share with you in a minute. Uh, For those of you who've been with me for a while, welcome back. I'm always happy that you're here and sharing. And for those of you that are new, welcome, welcome. The Friday interviews work a little bit differently. So on Monday through Thursday, I interview everyday innovators from across the globe who are out there doing it, shaking things up, making an impact in their world. They come from all backgrounds, ages, experiences, geographies. I love it. Friday, I share with you an insight, kind of bringing something together. And today I'm actually going to share with you something about breaking the rules that my dad taught me that was stayed with me my whole life. Um, And then I'm going to go into the four interviews that we had, just give you my one big aha out of them. I got a lot out of all the interviews, but what I like to do is pull out the one thing that really spoke to me so that you can think about what you're learning from these interviews and hopefully take some action. We've got to bridge that knowing and doing gap. And as you know, I'm an open book, so I like to share what I learned, what I've done, the actions I've taken, how it's impacted me, all of that, so that you can have that same momentum and energy and positive change that I experienced from doing these interviews. I mean, let's face it, these interviews in some way are a little bit selfish on my part, because what do I do all day? I learn from you. I'm not sure there's a better job out there. All right, so let's start off by talking about breaking the rules. And a lesson that my dad taught me many, 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 many years ago when I was in fourth grade. Now, here's the thing about fourth grade. My teacher gave the class the best homework assignment I have ever received in my academic career. On a Friday, she looked at the class and said, class, over the weekend, I want you to think about what you want to be when you grow up. And then on Monday, we're all going to present to each other what we want to be. Oh my gosh. I mean, can you think of a better assignment when you're in fourth grade and the world is your oyster and everything's possible and you've got that mix of kind of knowing enough to have some ideas, but still having that childlike wonder? I was so excited. So I ran home. I canceled all my play dates, not dramatic at all. And I worked all weekend on what I wanted to be. And I wrote some stuff down and then I thought about it and then I scribbled it out and then I'd go in the backyard and play and then I'd come back and write some new stuff down and then I'd have a moment of realization and I'd write that down until I finally landed on the one thing that I wanted to be when I grew up, something that really spoke to me. So Monday morning rolls around. I am up. I am dressed. I am out the door before my mother can even tell me that it's a school day. I mean, she couldn't believe that I was so, I mean, I liked school, but I wasn't in love with school usually. I usually didn't run out the door. But this day, I ran out the door. I met up with my friends who could not keep up with me walking to school, so I just kept going. Sat, I was the first in class that day, that Monday morning. And as the teacher started to say, who wants to present? 
my hand was the first up. I was so excited. So I got up in front of the class and I stood there in my orange jelly shoes and my pegged pants and my oversized sweatshirt. And I looked up at the class and I said, when I grow up, I want to be president of the United States of America. And then I looked back down in my orange jelly shoes, waiting for what obviously was going to be the just ruckus applause that was going to spread across the classroom at my brilliant idea of wanting to be president. Of course, this would lead to a standing ovation and oohs and ahs all day long. But actually, what I heard as I was kind of waiting for the applause wasn't, well, it wasn't applause. It wasn't clapping. It was laughter. And it rolled across the classroom. And when I looked up, I realized that the laughter had actually started with my teacher who was standing in the back in her, I'll never forget her. She used to wear these huge moo dresses to school. And she looked, looked at me and she said in front of the entire class, oh, silly girl, you can't be president of the United States. You weren't born in this country. And to be president, you have to be born in this country. You need to go find a new dream. Yeah, she told me to go find a new dream. Now, here's the thing. It might be true. I, so I wasn't born in this country. I was born in Israel, but I was born with American citizenship. I have dual citizenship, actually, that I'm very proud of. We moved to the U.S. permanently when I was five years old. So she may have been right at the time, but that didn't matter. My dreams were squelched. And I left that classroom so defeated. And I walked home with my head hanging low, totally demoralized. My dream had been broken. And I got home and I was just cranky and upset and miserable little child. And my dad happened to be working from home that day. And he was in his office, pretty busy. And I walked in and he said, what's wrong with you? And I said, well, it turns out the rules are that in order to be president of the United States, you have to be born in this country. And, and I wasn't, so I don't get to be president of the United States. And my dad, without missing a beat, didn't even stop what he was doing, whatever he was scribbling on paper. And he just said, well, then fine, go find a way to break the rules in and make what you want happen. And I stood there a little bit in shock, like, you don't just break the rules, Abba. That's what I call him. Abba is Hebrew for dad. You don't just break the rules. But then he looked at me and he goes, all right, fine. Like he knew what I was thinking. If you can't break them, bend them. And with that, he kind of, you know, waved, waved me out of his office. I've never forgotten that day. And no, I'm not president of the United States. And in reality, thank God, that is, isn't telling you, over the last 8, 10, 12 years, that is not a job that I've grown to want in any way whatsoever. But what my dad got me thinking about was the thing that I wanted was to make an impact on the world. The thing that I really wanted, what I was really going for with all this, wasn't about the presidency. It was about doing something on the global stage. That's what I wanted. I wanted my impact to be felt across the globe. I didn't want to live in a cubicle in a small world with, you know, my, a two mile radius. And that's fine if that's for you. It wasn't for me, not even as a kid. And I remember going back to my room that day and thinking, all right, Tamara, if you were to break these rules, even bend them, what would that look like? And that got me thinking about, well, what do I want to really, why do I want to be president? What is it I'm trying to accomplish? And how do I get around these rules? And how do I, what are ways that I can do the same thing that maybe the president can do but not have to run for president. 
And I scribbled a bunch of ideas down on paper and got so excited. I thought about starting a nonprofit that was global. I thought about running my own company. I thought about putting a product out into the world that changes people's lives. And hey, guess what? I do all of those things today. I'm on the board of a nonprofit that I feel very passionately about that helps um, at-risk and underserved youth in my community. I um, speak all across the globe on innovation and human potential. And I have the IQER assessment that helps people unlock their greatest potential, their innovative mind, helps them gain a competitive advantage, differentiate themselves, perform at their peak. So I got to thank my ABBA for this because I think all of that came from his simple break the rules and if you can't break them, bend them. And it got me thinking very differently about what I wanted to accomplish in life. Now, don't get me wrong. It wasn't a straight path from fourth grade to where I am today, but that always stuck with me. And every time I run up against an obstacle or a rule, I always think about breaking them. In fact, my family has a running joke about me. (laughs) I can't believe I'm going to share this. They say, oh, Tamara, you know the rules exist. You just don't think they apply to you. And I think they're probably right. If there's a long line, I'm going to find a way around that line. If there's a way that you have to make a reservation for something, I'm going to find a different way to do it. You better believe it. So thank you, Abba. And I hope you all take that lesson out there of, hey, if there's a rule that's getting in the way of what you want to accomplish, think about how you can break it or bend it to get what you're really looking for. All right. Speaking of what we're looking for, let's get down to business and talk about this week's Everyday Innovators. We have a whole different range of them once again. So we have Lizzie De La Garza, who's in the oil and gas industry, but also does a ton of community work. We have Tony Jamis, who's in the remote talent and working organization, so connects up um, global workforce. We had Taylor McCartan, who is the founder of Bin Breeze, which is in the Reinventing Compost, and Yuri Elkham, who is a healthpreneur. So he's in the health field, but what he really does is help other health entrepreneurs get success and turn their love of health and fitness and wellness into an actual business. So wow, what a different group. So let's start with Lizzie and work our way forward. So Lizzie De La Garza, like I said, she's an oil and gas, and she's a tweaker imaginative. That means that her point of differentiation and her value is in bringing optimized, novel innovation. That's how she thinks, and that's the power that she puts out into the world. So Lizzie says something that really spoke to me. In fact, it was a theme through her entire podcast, so I encourage you to go back and listen. Lizzie kept saying, I just want to know what more. Like, what more can I do? What more is possible? And she talked about how her, her deep kind of need to always look for that what more is what helped her get ahead. It's what helps her make an impact in her community. And she has a lot of incredible outreach and work in the economic development in her where she lives in Texas. And that this drive of what more, and it got me thinking about it. Do I do enough of that or do I just check off my list? And so I started to really ask myself every day, what more can I do? Especially when it was time to close out my day, when it's you know, time for me to kind of shut it down, I'd say to myself, okay, Tamara, what more? Like, what's that one more thing I can do that just closes the books on the day, but puts one more thing out into the world? Maybe it's responding to one more email. Maybe it's commenting on a social media post. Maybe it's doing one more piece of research or doing one more sales effort, whatever it is. What more? So here's the thing that I thought was interesting. So for an entire week, I very intentionally always asked myself what more. And actually, I did it in two ways. One was one more thing, like what more can I do? But the other one was what more value could I give this person that's going to make them want to connect with me? So like if I'm shooting you an email, just even to respond with a quick update on our project, 
what more could I add to this email or to what I'm providing you that makes it even more valuable to you? What more can I do if I'm trying to get your attention on social media? Like, should I think about my post a little bit differently, a little bit more? So I, I, I allowed what more to infuse into everything. So here's the inter- interesting thing that I did not expect. When I started to do what more and way more intentionally, I think I give it my all most of the time. I bet most of you do too. But when I started to do this one what more, here's what I found. So interesting. My mental space cleared up for the rest of the day. I felt more satisfied, more complete with my work. I didn't have those little things lingering in the back of my mind as I went into family time and dinner and training and fitness and life, right? I like It's like my brain was able to shut down because it didn't have any open loops, things that I just never got to or didn't do well enough that nagged at me. So that's a really powerful thing to go into the rest of your day, your life, when you close the books on work and have that mental ease. And what more helped me do that? Did not expect it. And I'm very curious if you find that too. If you, I want you to do that this week. What more? If I'm writing an email or putting together a presentation, what more can I do to make this really pop, to really be of value? If you're closing the books at the end of the day, and what, what I mean by that, by the way, because I'm so old, that's a phrase I use, is you know when you're shutting down your computer, like you're stopping for the day, what's one more thing? What more can you do to just finish up the day and really complete it? I couldn't believe the mental ease. And I'm very curious to see if you find the same thing. So do that and let me know. And Lizzie, thanks for that. What more is such a great way to say it? Because to me, what more represents not just action, what more can I do, but also what more, like how can I make this pop and add more value? So I think it's a quality thing and a quantity thing. So thank you for that, Lizzie. Like I said, I'd be very curious to know if that gives you mental space and ease the way it did for me. You're listening to Conversations with Everyday Innovators on With Tamara Gondor Podcast. Let's take a moment to thank our generous partners that make this possible. I want to take a moment to talk about my friends at Howdy Puppy. Dogs experience all the same problems as humans when it comes to joint pain, anxiety, digestion, and arthritis. A great way to help our four-legged family members with these ailments is with CBD-infused pet treats. Who doesn't like treats? As you longtime listeners know, my Mastiff, Zoe, is part of my family, but is getting older and has some anxiety issues when strangers come around. Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats has totally changed her disposition, and I know she feels like her young, energetic, confident self when she gets Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats. There are many CBD-infused dog treats on the market, but the truth is that many of them are overpriced and ineffective. We've looked at dozens of CBD dog treats and found most of them disappointing. Howdy Puppy is among the best brands in the CBD pet business. They deliver consistent quality and their treats look and taste amazing, according to our dogs, of course. The company makes CBD dog treats in three flavors, steak, bacon, and cheese rolls. All of Howdy Puppy's CBD treats contain natural ingredients, including high-quality full-spectrum hemp oil, all sourced and made in the USA. Full disclosure, I'm an investor in Howdy Puppy, but before I put my name on the company, I had an independent lab in Denver, Colorado, verify the quality and consistency of their treats. They are truly as advertised. Go online today at howdypuppy.com, link will also be in the show notes, and use promo code 
Tamara, T-A-M-A-R-A, that's me, to get 20% off the absolute best CBD dog treats on the market. You will not be disappointed. Howdypuppy.com, promo code Tamara. Don't let them suffer needlessly. Let them enjoy life too. All right, next up is Tony Jamis, who runs a global remote talent and work organization. So connecting global workforce um, jobs with talent. Wow, talk about relevant today. So Tony is a fluid imaginative. That's how he innovates. That's his creative problem solving style. That's how his brain is wired to, to think differently. And the fluid imaginative is really powerful because it brings concise and novel innovation to the table. Wow, two things we really need in a very messy and uncertain world. Here's what Tony gave me that I, again, this is a week of unexpected lessons, I think, for me. So he gave me permission. Let me explain. He gave me permission to live my life in the way I want to and not apologize or feel bad for it. So he said he doesn't think that it's about balancing work and life. I think we talk a lot about that. He said, it's actually not about that. What it should be is about protecting ourselves from work. And what he was saying was work should fit into your life and the way your life flows, not life should fit into your work and the way work flows. Here's the thing. So for me, I get up at usually about five o'clock. It used to be 4 a.m. when I when I'd go to the 5 a.m. class, but since I've been training for the Ironman, I have to do it later in the afternoon. So from now, I'm getting up at 5 a.m. And I get up, I have some coffee. If my kids are here, I usually just make sure they get out the door and do all that. But I immediately go to my computer. I don't shower yet, I don't do any of that yet. I check email, I do some social media stuff, I kind of work on, like, I just get some of that busy work out of the way, actually early in the morning before my day even technically starts. Then after a couple hours of that, I, then I go and eat breakfast and shower and come back. And at that point, I'm usually on video or camera in some way, whether that's a webinar or virtual keynote or one of my lives or bursts or whatever it is I'm doing. Um, I'm usually videotaping something and in makeup at that point. And I spent all morning doing anything that's related to the big parts of my business, new business, sales, big presentations, kind of big thought leadership things that I need to do, kind of any of that kind of stuff. And then by about one o'clock, two o'clock, I kind of start to fade and I have lunch in there somewhere too. I fade a little bit. So I used to feel really guilty about fading because it was like power through tomorrow. Come on, nine to five, let's do this. I mean, I grew up in the era of nine to five. That's what you did, but I don't. And so by two o'clock, I find myself milling around, maybe cleaning up the house, um, and then like, then I start training for right now. It's been for an Ironman fingers crossed. As I record this, I'm about to get on a plane to go attempt, but I start training and that's usually two or three hours. Cause it's a long race. And then I'm done at five or six. Right. And then the kids come home and then it's time for dinner. And I like to hang out with them and really be present for them. And we play poker. That's our new thing. And, and we watch movies together. And so we do all that. And then right before I go to bed, I usually sit down on my computer and do a little bit more. I remember from what I said with Lizzie, that's where my what's more comes in, actually. So I get like 40, good 45 minutes and I'm just getting some stuff off my plate so that I can go to bed with a little bit of peace of mind. And then, right, I kind of get up and I go to bed. Actually, I usually watch a little Netflix in bed. I'm not going to lie. But here's why I share that with you. Okay, that's a very detailed example of my life. And, and as I was just thinking of that, what's more actually comes in in the morning when I'm doing the presentations and all that, because I'm like, what more can I do to make this pop and add value? 
And then it comes in about two or three o'clock before I shut down to go do training of like, what's more can I do? And then definitely in the evening again, of like, what are some, even if I don't have anything to do, I sit down for 30 minutes and just figure some stuff. What's more out. Okay. But let's get back to Tony. So it made me think like, I used to feel really guilty about that because people are, are, I mean, I guess the narrative out there, right. Is you get up, you shower, you change, maybe you go to the gym in the morning, early, early morning, shower, change, and then you are at your desk all day long and then you're done. And my life doesn't work like that. My life kind of ebbs and flows, right? I'm, I'm working, I'm not working, I'm working, I'm not working. And there are days, by the way, when I'm not at my desk at all because I'm out doing stuff, whatever I'm doing, I'm traveling, I'm training, I'm um, doing stuff with my kiddos. Like last Friday, I was at a swim meet all day. I was like, well, I'm not going to get to work until four o'clock. But I used to feel guilty about that, all that. Like I should be on it all the time. And Tony really made me realize with his, we've got to protect ourselves from work that life is short and it should really work the other way around. You know, that we shouldn't fit our life into our work. We should fit our work into our life and that we can have both, but we've got to be really smart about how we do it. And we've got to do it in the way that works for us and our family and our, and our life, whatever that looks like for us. And here's the thing I found. I actually found in giving myself permission to ebb and flow the way I do I actually got more done. And I think that's because I had a more positive mindset around it. I wasn't feeling guilty about walking away from work. I wasn't feeling guilty about coming back to it. Like I just, I was just there. And that when I thought about it as this is how it should be, I just, I had a lot, I think my mindset was more positive. I think my energy was more there. I think I was more present in all the things I was doing. So whatever your work life is and whatever you want, let me just say, give yourself permission to do it your way. And then when you decide what that way is, then you do it with gusto and with energy and with giving it your all. Every time I sit down at my desk, every time I turn on that camera for to videotape something or go live with an audience, believe me, I am giving it 100%. And every time I'm not and I'm training and sitting in my backyard with my dog or doing something with my kids or whatever it is, I'm giving it my all. So thank you, Tony. Let's all give ourselves a little more permission to figure out this work-life thing and how they should actually fit your way. All right, next up is Taylor McCartan, who is the founder of Binbree. So he's reinventing compost. Now, I want us to think about compost as all those little bins that you see on people's counters, maybe in their laundry room, under the sink, right? So great, you put your banana peels and everything else in there, better for the environment in so many ways. But they got a few problems. They only hold so much and they smell. Did I mention they can smell sometimes? Yeah, everyone I know that has one has an issue with the smell. So good for the environment, not great for the smell. So Taylor figured it out. But here's the thing. This is what Taylor said to me that really got me thinking differently that I really appreciated. He said, originally, he knew he wanted to reinvent compost. And ultimately, really, agriculture as a whole, because he wanted all this residential compost and all this other to then create better soil to then go back into agriculture. So this kind of whole circle of life he's working on, but we're going to focus on the compost bin residential right now. So he said, you know, I realized that people were solving the wrong problem. He said, you know, everybody looked at the bin and said, how do I reinvent the bin to, to solve the problems that the bin has for composting? And he realized, wait a minute, what if I didn't, what if I didn't innovate against the bin? What if I left the bin alone? And that is how he came up with bin breeze, which look more like tablets that you put in the bin to help everything decompose in the right way and avoid the nasty smell. So think about this for a second, because this is actually really profound, I think has Im implications for all of us in the work that we're doing. 
he made me think, are we solving the right problem? And are we so stuck in our linear path of like, we have to solve for X when really Y is what we should be solving for. So think about, so think about this. So here it is. All these people are trying to innovate on the bin and that's leading to some incremental things, like maybe a little smell trap, maybe a, a way to like open it without the smell coming out, maybe the way it turns. And he realizes, no, 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 hold on. If I put something in the bin that allows it to decompose better, create better soil, but also deal with the smell, it's a win for everybody. So here's how, what I want you thinking about. Think about a problem you're trying to solve. And I want you to write down what that problem is. And then I just want you to solve it. Like brainstorm some ideas on how to solve that problem. Then here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn the piece of paper over and I want you to write, if I couldn't solve it that way, how would I do it? So if you couldn't reinvent or innovate on the bin, how else would you solve the smell problem? Whatever problem you're working on, same applies. Here's a little trick, by the way. If you can't figure it out, if you're a little bit stuck on like, I don't know any other way, I want you to think about who else not in your industry has the same problem you have and solved it. Let me share a little story around this one to get you going. Way back in the day, uh, printers used to always get jammed. Always. I mean, oh my gosh, when I started my career in advertising at Young and Rubicam, I spent half my time dealing with printer jams. I don't know what the deal was in the 90s, but man, you could not keep that paper running smoothly through the printer. So they had to solve a problem. So the Xerox people realized they had a problem to solve. And that problem was, right, this, they keep getting jammed. Their paper keeps getting jammed. And what do they do about that? So they thought about, well, who, else, what, who or what else gets jammed? What else has a has a um, jamming problem, for lack of a better way to say it. So then they thought about it. They didn't look at other printers, but you know what they looked at? Your nose. So here's what happens with your nose when you have a cold and it's stuffy. I don't know if you've noticed this. It's actually super frustrating. When one side gets stuffy, the other side is open. And when that side gets stuffy, the other side is open. So it's like you always have one nostril working. Isn't that weird? But mostly true, right? Most More often than not, usually one of them is working. So then they thought, well, let's apply that to printers because how does the nose solve this stuffed up problem? It has one that's always working, it has two. So that's how they created the dual printer cartridges, right, where you have two bins of paper. I'm sure I'm not using the right language, but you get the point. Sometimes we need to look for inspiration in other places. The key with that is to break down your problem to the bare, bare minimum. No jargon, no marketing, no industry talk. Xerox had a jamming problem. They had a stuffy problem. That's how they got to noses. So what is the problem that you have? Do you have a turnaround time problem? Do you have a speed problem? Do you have a quality problem? Do you have a workflow problem, a communication problem? Whatever it is, I want you on one side of the paper, solve it. And then I want you to do what Taylor did. And I want you to go to the other side. And I want you to do it if you couldn't do any of those ways that you would normally do. I think you'll find it really fascinating. So thank you, Taylor, for that. It's just a great reminder that we always, always need to be looking beyond the past, what we even think we're solving for to find new ways. All right. Last but not least is Yuri Elkham, who is a healthpreneur. So he helps other health and wellness professionals build their business. Okay. He said something that really stuck with me. He's, oh, he's an instinctual imaginative. Let me not forget that. So his brilliance comes from driving connective novel innovation. So connective putting dots together in new ways that a lot of us miss and that novel being new playing in the gaps. So he said, 
you can't get full-time results with fractional effort. Let me say that again. It's so important. You can't get full-time results if you're giving fractional effort. Whoa, did my eyes light up because I've really been struggling with this lately because I feel so overwhelmed and overworked right now that, yeah, I feel like I'm fractional, like everything gets a little bit of me. And so he was talking in relation to a lot of different things. And I would go back and listen to, well, all these podcasts, but this part in particular. And he said, you know, if you want full-time results, you got to get full-time energy. And that got me thinking about something. I started to think about, well, when do I feel fractional? When do I feel like I'm, I've got too many balls in the air, I'm wearing too many hats, whatever analogy you want to use. And I started to realize I, when, I, when I get that way, I start to feel underwater. I start to feel stressed out. And I start to feel like nothing I'm doing, I'm doing well enough. Everything is like half-assed. And I don't like that. I like to full-ass everything. And I started to think about, okay, well, what do I do in those moments typically? Well, normally I just, I do two things actually. One is I make a longer list and I organize myself and I organize my list and I categorize my list. And that does make me feel better of kind of having some organization and prioritization around what needs to get done. But the second thing I do which isn't bad in some situations, but I think here is actually working against me, is I give myself grace. Now go with me for a moment because I know what a lot of you are out there thinking like, tomorrow I have a lot to do and I got to give myself grace. I can't get everything done 100%. I hear you, but go with me for a minute here. What for me I found is that when I was giving myself grace, it was giving myself permission to have too much on my plate and not do anything well enough. And I don't think that's something we should give ourselves permission for anymore. I get it. We have bosses, we have jobs, we have goals, we have clients, we have communities, like we have all that. But I think we're better served, they're better served, all of them, if we take some things off our plate. So instead of giving ourselves grace, what if we said no? What if we found ways to take stuff off our plate, at least for the time being, so that we can actually get full effort for full results, not fractional effort for fractional results, because that's what we're all getting, isn't it? So for the last couple of weeks after I, I did this interview, I started saying no, not giving myself grace, but saying no. And every time I found myself getting overwhelmed or feeling like I wasn't doing stuff well enough because I had a million things to do, instead of just saying, you got this tomorrow, do your best, I actually said, huh, what can I take off my plate? And what, can I, what do I keep on my plate? What do I say no to? That has helped me to go full ass on a lot of things. And I have a big butt, people. So full ass. When I do it, I'm like 100, 100% in. You, I'm joking here, but you get my point. So I want to thank Yuri for that because I think sometimes we hide behind giving ourselves grace. I know that's not going to be a popular comment, but it's how I feel. And what we should be doing instead is saying no. So I would encourage you this week to say no and see how that feels. All right. Great week. Great interviews. Tamara out. Congratulations. By listening to this podcast, you took another step towards becoming an everyday innovator. To leap forward, visit www.gotolaunchstreet.com and take the Innovation Quotient Edge Assessment to discover your unique everyday innovator style and access the Everyday Innovator Digital Magazine for the top tools, insights, and inspiration at your fingertips 24-7. Tomorrow, we'll be back with another Everyday Innovator conversation soon. In the meantime, if you got a nugget of value out of this podcast, let Tamara know by leaving a five-star review and comment. Your review equals more guests, more listeners, listens bigger impact until next time